Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus. Our uh, Bible passage for this morning is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And we pray. These are your words, dear Heavenly Father. Sanctifies by the truth, your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. One of the kind of fun things about parenting at my age is that when you play video games, it's kind of like having your own personal like Twitch stream. You know that thing where you play games online and some you know the whole world can watch you. So when I'm playing, it's like I got you know four boys gathered around, usually a couple on my lap, and and so this past summer I got this game that they really liked, really wanted to watch me play, and it's called Tunic. It's a game where um, it's kind of like a top-down Zelda-like game where you're on an overworld and you're, uh, you got a sword to kill monsters and, and for some reason you're a fox because that's probably cute or something. Um, and, but, the, but the interesting gimmick about the game is that there's a ton of secrets in it, a ton of little hidden things. And so then when I'm playing, you know, there's always kind of like a main path that you know you should go down. But I'm always like, oh, what about that little side path there? Maybe there's a secret in this shrubbery. Or maybe if I chop down these blades of grass, I'd find something. And now with these four boys watching me, you can imagine that's a very frustrating experience for them. Because they want to see me go and fight some big boss. And here I am, you know, oh, there's the big door. And I'm going to go off and, you know, try to find something. And so, yeah, the, the, the chat gets a little toxic, so to speak, at that point. <laughs> and... So, about two-thirds in my playthrough, though, there was this big tower that was mysterious, and I didn't understand it, and I just kind of moved on from it. But my second oldest son, Nolan, was like, wait, go back. There's a secret there. And I was like, uh, I knew there was, but I was kind of just like, well, I mean, how do you know? And he said, the makers of the game wouldn't have put it in there if it didn't have a reason. And it's interesting, it's so true about video games. There's, there's just no random room that's just there for nothing, no extra path that's there for nothing. If they programmed it in, there's at least some collectible to get. Now, it turns out we, of course, have a creator. And if even video game creators do this, how much more our true creator, God, has reason and usefulness for us. And our text points it out as it gets at the usefulness of godliness. That godliness isn't just something that's there for no reason, but it's actually something that's useful. And so our text says, the translation says, Godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is. I just want to point out, like with profitable there, it really probably a more straightforward translation for us today. I'm going to just use is just to say usefulness. It's not like profitable like some kind of old Bitcoin thing with godliness or day trading. It's, it's really talking about usefulness. And I think that emphasis on godliness being useful should probably come at a little bit of a surprise for us because often I, I don't know that we always treat godliness like that. We treat godliness often, you know, like following God's will, doing what he wants. We treat godliness often as something like we should do but 
often like a disadvantage in my life. I know I should do this, but uh, do I really want to? Or uh, isn't it kind of not helping me? Or I'm going to be at a disadvantage in different situations. And then by doing that, we kind of turn God into like the ultimate chore giver. Where we can basically imagine him being like, well, okay, I'll save you by grace, but I'm going to make you kind of jump through a bunch of hoops. It's often kind of how we treat God in his will. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, I know I shouldn't cheat in class or in, in the workplace or whatever. It's another thing to say, I want to be honest and do the right thing. That's useful. It's one thing to say, okay, God says I should reserve sex for marriage. It's another thing to say, this is what I want. This is beneficial for me. It's one thing to say, yeah, I know I should help out this family member or friend with whatever. It's another thing to say, yeah, I'm super glad to spend my time and energy and maybe money. This is useful for me. Because it really, if we're honest with ourselves, it's hard enough to like do godliness, do the right thing, just at all. And it's even harder to be like, I'm doing this and this is what I want. Not just that it's the outward right actions. I think this is advantageous. I think this is useful. If anything, we can quickly kind of cry martyr of, oh, how hard it is to be a Christian. How disadvantaged I am in different situations to be a Christian. And so I think that this text is kind of a challenge in that respect. So, you know, not, all, not only are we kind of bad at sometimes, you know, doing the right thing, you know, often we don't even take that usefulness of godliness seriously. Now, it, it's not all unpacked in this specific text, but I'm going to talk, I think it's helpful to envision godliness with kind of a twofold aspect. On the one hand, there's an active godliness there's a godliness that we do that I've been talking about. And if our relationship with God was based on this active godliness that we're not always so good at, that would be on pretty shaky ground. We'd be in trouble to say the least. But there's a different, uh, a second aspect with this godliness, a passive godliness. And that is the message that's implicit here, but maybe more clear when we examine the life and work of Jesus. There's a passive godliness that we have, that we don't do this godliness. It's a godliness that we re- receive from Jesus and his work. He was perfect. He followed his heavenly Father's will. He was perfectly godly, and he gives us his godliness to cover over our ungodliness uh, and to, to cover us up with his godliness. He paid for all of our things that we've done that are ungodly on the cross for us so that they would be gone, the price would be paid for. And he shows the usefulness of godliness. He's the greatest example of that because his godliness, his perfection, his work, his dying and his rising was so useful for us because it has conquered death and it's given us eternal life in heaven. And he is the ultimate proof of the value of godliness. And this is the godliness that we've passively received from him. It's the godliness we've passively received, having faith that he's worked in our hearts, worked by baptism and, and, and strengthened by the message of that story of Christ and his saving work for us. Now, when we bear in mind the usefulness of Jesus and his godliness for us, I think that can help 
give us a different perspective on our active godliness, so to speak. It was we kind of re-examine it maybe from a different angle. Because we can see that more clearly that there's a reason and meaning and usefulness to it. Just like, again, with the video games. The video game makers wouldn't have bothered programming something that didn't have a use for their purpose. How much more, then, has God given you a purpose and in creating you, given you meaning and uh, having that in your life, in your act of godliness? It's a comfort for us because I think maybe we can have days at times where we're like, wow, what's the meaning or purpose of all this? You know, sometimes you get down in the dumps. And then I would say, look, I would suggest look in the mirror on those days. Look in the mirror and look at your face. Grab your arms. Breathe in and breathe out. You are a created being. You feel your flesh and blood. That creator made you and he didn't make you for no purpose. I don't know. I don't know what your day is like, and I don't know your friends and your family. I don't know the path of godliness that, that, that lies before you. But I would think about that. Think about the meaning, the purpose, the usefulness of the godliness that is before you. And you know, I think that helps us embrace the meaning and usefulness that we do have in life. Now, we're not always going to understand it. We can't always put the pieces together from our creaturely position. But we know if video game makers won't make a room without a little bit of a collectible in there, how much less uh, for us. Of course, we have a purpose and uh, usefulness in the godliness uh, that, that lies before us. The godliness that we actively do, but... Thanks be to God that, the, that we have perfect godliness that we've passively received thanks through Jesus and his work. So, you know, I hope we walk away from this text comforted by its straightforward meaning. It's powerful to think about godliness being useful. And Jesus gives us his godliness and has shown us most powerfully its usefulness by saving us with his godliness and now that enables us, I think, to look at the things that lie before us in this life and find usefulness there. Usefulness each and every day until at last by his grace he brings us home to heaven. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Help us to find the usefulness in our godliness each and every day. Give us comfort and faith in the godliness and forgiveness from your Son, by which you've given us eternal life in heaven. Amen.
Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.